Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? Yeah? Anybody here very first time coming to Outreach Church this morning? It's kind of an unfair question because I know there's a couple people here I talked to them before. It's okay, you can raise your hand. We're not going to call you up here. <laughs> people always get a little nervous when you ask that. We just want to say thanks for coming and welcome you here. And, and uh, we're really glad that you guys came. We believe that, that this, what we do on Sunday mornings is just really an overflow of our lives from Monday through Saturday. That it's, it's not the top of the mountain for us. Um, and that we spend the rest of our week just in decline and, and hoping we get back here again on Sunday, that we actually live a life in Christ, that we get together on Sundays and there's an explosion of joy and worship because it's a reflection of our lives Monday through Saturday. And Yeah, maybe some weeks you, you, you barely limp through the door, right? And you need a little help and you, you need someone to encourage you and pour into you. That's awesome, but hopefully there's a lot of weeks where you come through the door ready to help and encourage other people. That we get to a place in God where we're not just surviving, but we're actually living. Where, where our eyes can be taken off of ourselves and placed on others. Because it's not every day that we're just trying to make it through the day. But we're actually living, alive in Christ. And that there's something inside of each and every one of us that God wants to use for His glory and for His kingdom. There's something inside you that was worth the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. That was worth Him dying and giving His life for And even if you don't see it, and even when you can't understand it or can't imagine what it is, God's never lost sight of that. He's never lost sight of who He created you to be, who He desires for you to become. And anytime you want to wonder about whether or not you matter to God, you can always look to the cross and see the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and understand how valuable and how precious you are to Him. How much you're worth to Him. It's not a wake up in the morning and decide whether God loves me or not based on how my day goes. Wake up in the morning full of the knowledge that he loves me and I go happen to my day rather than my day happening to me. Walk out the door with a different mindset. Everything looks the same on the outside because nothing's changed outside in the world, but everything's changed inside of me. It's a different attitude. It's a different mindset. It's understanding who I am in Christ and then going out and living my life every day intentionally from that knowledge, from a place in his heart, not hoping to gain one, not hoping I do enough right things, say enough right things, sing loud enough, dance high enough clap loud enough or fast enough or on beat. Some of you guys have been relied on clapping on beat. Ooh, <laughs> you'd be in trouble. <laughs> Just watch the singers and follow them, okay? You guys could throw off a metronome, some of you. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. It doesn't matter to God. He looks down and he sees his children rejoicing and celebrating and praising him and worshiping him and it brings joy to his heart and it makes him glad and it makes him happy and it makes him excited to see that, that we're responding in worship. He doesn't want to look down and see a religious service where people are doing something because they feel like they should, because they feel like they have to, because it's an obligation or a debt. He look, likes to look down and see children responding to him in worship because of what's going on inside their hearts, because they get it. They understand how much he loves them. They understand how much he's done for them and, and who he is for them. And because of that, responding in worship rather than worshiping for that. You'll never receive that in worship. You'll never receive more than He already gave in Jesus Christ. Our worship is a response to the understanding that we have of who He is and what He's done for us. It's why we don't sing songs begging for Him to do more. As if the problem is on His end and we're down here on earth thinking if God would just hurry up and get on our page then everything would be okay. When the truth is, is that Jesus said it is finished thousands of years ago. We can spend our time trying to talk God into an agenda that we've come up with or we can understand that He already has a plan for our life, that maybe He created you with a value inside of you and a purpose inside of you and that it's not us waiting for Him to get on our page. It's Him waiting for us to respond to who He created us to be and to live the life He called us to live. Just think about the craziness of us down here screaming and crying out for God and just contending for breakthrough and stuff like that. And yet God's in heaven saying, I've already given you my Holy Spirit. Part of who I am, the Spirit of the living God, lives and dwells inside of each and every one of you. My Son gave His life on a cross for you to pay a debt that you could never pay. Everything that you've ever done that you wish you hadn't has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've forgiven your sins, and not only that, but I've promised that if I've forgiven your sins, I'll remember them no more. 
not just forgive them and make, take away the penalty. I'll actually forgive them and take away the memory of them ever happening as if they never have. That's why some people don't feel better when they pray over and over again for God to forgive the same sin because after the first time, He has no earthly idea what you're talking about. Because He means every single word He says. He says, and I, will forgive, I, even I, will forgive their sins and remember them no more. It's an Old Testament promise that's echoed in Hebrews in the New Testament. It's just as true today as it was then. He really doesn't remember because he said he wouldn't. Isn't it great to know that we serve a God that can't break his word? That he's not human, that when he says it, it's binding. So when he said to Noah, I will never again flood the earth with water, he really meant he will never again flood the earth with water, meaning he can't ever flood the earth again with water. Because to do so, I know he was trying here in South Carolina lately. Goodness. I kept waiting for a Facebook page to pop up inviting us all to come build the ark, you know. Start looking outside. I see two dogs running down the street together and I start wondering, hmm. You guys understand that that's how binding God's word is, that once he says it, it is binding. And because he's not a man, that he should lie. There is no shadow of turning in him. If he says he won't, then from that day forward, he cannot because he can't break his word. I know that conflicts our theology of, well, God can do anything. He can as long as it's not breaking his word that he's established and that he's spoken because he cannot break his own word because he's not a man that he should lie. I can make a promise to you. There's a chance that I'll fulfill it, but there's also a chance that I won't because I am human and I can break my word. It is not binding, unfortunately, in human beings. We can choose to make it binding and we can keep an oath even when it hurts, like Proverbs talks about. But the truth of the matter is is that within each and every one of us is the ability to, to go back on something we've said, but God lacks that. He's not like you and me. If he said it, He means it. So when he promised that he would forgive your sins and remember them no more, he intends fully to keep that promise. So after you confess your sin and after you ask him to take it away from you and after you repent, it's as if it never happened in his mind. So remember that. Enjoy that. Live in that freedom of knowing that you're loved by a God who loves you so much that he's promised to never hold the things you've done against you. Because he's love, and love keeps no record of wrongs. He's not keeping score. He's never had a moment where he's looked at you and said, I've heard this before, when you've come to him and told him about the 50th time that you've done something that you said you wouldn't. Every time is as if it's as if it's the first time. Because love hopes all things, believes all things. And so when you come to him and you tell him, I blew it, I screwed up, I'm sorry, forgive me, I don't want to live that way anymore. He sees a heart that's already in the process of change. Otherwise, it wouldn't hurt you, and you wouldn't be going to him and asking him to help you not to do it anymore. And he gets excited for it. He believes it and he hopes for it. And it's as if it's the first time. He doesn't look down and say, well, I've heard that before. I'll have to see it to believe it. He's not like us. See, we keep record of wrong sometimes. We keep a memory. We know when someone comes to us and says something for the 50th time. And after about the fourth or fifth time, we start thinking, I've heard it before. I'll believe it when I see it. He doesn't have that complex. He looks at you and says, that's awesome. I believe it. I'm proud of you. I love you. And then you go and you blow it again sometimes, right? And you come back to him. And it's the same way. He's standing there smiling, going, oh, that's awesome. I love you. I believe it. I hope for it. I want to help you with this. Lean on my spirit. Walk by the spirit and put to deed the the lust of the flesh. Don't do those things that you said you weren't going to do anymore, not because it hurts me, but because it hurts me for you. Because I can't stand to see you live in that guilt and that shame and putting on that mask every day of something that you're not. I want to see you live and be free and actually wake up in the morning and hit the ground with with feet that are thankful to be alive, with hands that are raised in praise to me and not waking up every day and wishing that you could do yesterday over. Wake up every day excited that you get to do today. Too much of our lives is spent in regret. Too much of our lives is spent wishing we could do something yesterday that we didn't do or not do something yesterday that we did do and God has no plan or no intention of you ever living with regret. He plans for you to wake up every single day thankful that you're alive and that you get to live today, not wishing you could do yesterday over. Yesterday is gone. His mercies are new every single day. That's what that means. His mercies are new every day. In other words, He wakes up in the morning with you. He's already awake, but He wakes up with you. He's standing there waiting by the bed when you wake up and He's smiling at you and He's looking at you in perfection that you've found in Jesus Christ and He's excited about the day and He has every intention of today being a good day. 
He's not thinking about yesterday. Read through your Bible, you'll find a lot about God talking about your present and about your future, and you'll find very little talking about your past, except for the fact that he plans to redeem it and forget it. He'd really love for you to do the same. Because it can be sorted on his end, but you can still be struggling with it and troubled by it. And then it has power and authority in your life that he has no intention of it having. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. That was free. That wasn't in the notes. If we could get that, you guys, I know we talk about this, all this same kind of stuff a lot, but the truth of the matter is if we could get this stuff, if we could actually believe it down inside of us to the point that it controlled the way we think, that it controlled the way we act, our lives would be changed and they'd be different and they would look a lot more like Jesus. And we wouldn't have so much regret, we wouldn't have so much worry, we wouldn't have so much anxiety. We would actually wake up every day and feel like we're on purpose and feel like today is a good day and I'm going to make it a good day even if it tries not to be. Then we see ourselves as the solution rather than the victim. Wake up in the morning and you see yourself as the solution that walks into every problem and not the victim and the recipient of every problem. You're fully aware that you have the Holy Spirit of God living and breathing inside of you and that He has every intention of using you on the earth that day. That nothing that happens in front of you happens without you having the authority from heaven to speak into it, to bring peace to it, to bring joy to it, to bring love to it. Because Jesus said, as the Father sends me into the earth, so I send you. And Jesus never lacked any of that ability. Sometimes people wouldn't receive it. But it wasn't because there was a lack of it on his end. And the same should be in our lives. Maybe people won't receive it sometimes, but there should never be a lack of effort and lack of authority and lack of ability on our lives to bring the peace of God, the joy of God, the love of God to every situation that we're involved in every day. Every single day. You walk into the room and you know that the presence of God has just walked in the room with you. That the very Spirit of God is in that room. And there's no chance that he intends for things to happen without at least releasing the peace of God and speaking to it. Well, I'm excited about that. Yeah. yeah, me and David. You guys awake this morning? Yeah? yeah? Alright, because sometimes I wonder, like, <laughs> I know, like, sometimes you're taking things in and people tell me, they're like, yeah, sometimes, you know, when you're talking, I'm just kind of trying to take it all in or I'm trying to take notes or I'm trying to inventory it, but from my end, it looks like I'm talking to people that are like, huh? Start feeling like the cops up here, you know? Relax. <laughs> I'm not. There's no trick questions in here if I ask a question. It's not so that once you say the answer, I say, aha! <laughs> if I ask a question, I just really want to know what you think, or I really think that you already know the answer. It's not to trick you. You don't have to judge and test whether or not you're going to answer. But we've been talking for a while now about abiding in Jesus and what that means. We've been talking for a while, while now about being discipled by Jesus and actually living our lives discipled by Him and so we've talked about the pruning, we talked about the, the removal from the vine, we talked about you know, just what it means to actually abide, what that word means, how, it's a, how it's, a, it's a staying, it's a remaining, and we talked about how the armor of God is not to get us somewhere, it's to keep us where he placed us, that we're not fighting a battle trying to go take back territory over there, you know, the old, well I went down to the devil's camp and I took back what he stole, you know, all that stuff, or or onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. We're not going to fight anywhere. The fight was taken to the cross on Golgotha and the victory was won and it was sealed and it said you were taken from the kingdom of darkness and you were placed into the marvelous kingdom of his son whom he loves. Right? And so you were placed there and always when we talked about spiritual warfare and spiritual battle, it's always about remaining it's always about standing. Having done all to stand, stand. Take on the full armor of God that you may stand against the attacks of the enemy. It's never about going and finding and chasing the devil all over the map. It's about remaining where God's placed you and defeating him every time he comes. Every time. It's about staying there and understanding who we are in Christ. Not allowing guilt, shame, condemnation. You know, if, if something that you've done wrong is causing your conscience to be bothered, then take it to the person that you've done it to and make it right. Confess your sins. Ask for forgiveness. Make it right with them. Confess it. Repent, which means change the way you think. So stop doing the things that led you to do that and then live differently. And know that you have the full power and authority of God to live differently. And don't go back to it. Otherwise, you give an open door to the enemy to come and start making accusation and tell you, well, you did this. How could you call yourself a Christian? You did that. How could you call yourself this? How can you stand there and teach people when you've done this or you've done that? How could, you ever, how could God ever use someone like you after this, 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 and this? And when those things are going on and active in your life, all you need is your memory to agree with them. 
That's why it takes faith to walk the way God's called us to, because faith says, even though Jesus said, and so I. Our memory says, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, that is who I am. Oh yeah, that is what I've done. You're right. And we start agreeing with those accusations that are made in our head when the enemy comes. But faith says, even though Jesus said, so I. So even though all that stuff might be true, that stuff is dead and buried. That guy that did that died. There's a new me that's alive in Christ. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And any accusation that I accept from the enemy would be something that I would have to accept in the life of Jesus. Because that's where I've been placed. I'm in Him. And He's in me. So, when Jesus talks about abiding in Him, that when you see in me or in Him, or any of the in terms in the New Testament when they're talking about being in something, it's always a term for covenant. It's always what He's talking about. It's in the context of covenant. In other words, we abide in covenant with Him, and He abides in covenant with us. It's not that we physically live in Jesus, so to speak, that we say, well, well, I live in Christ. Well, you live in South Carolina, but you're in covenant with Christ, and He's in covenant with you. You've, God's made a covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ that is binding and permanent and he has no intention of ever being put on hold or ever and ever being severed ever ending it's a permanent binding covenant he gives us the picture of marriage to explain that right and so when we are in covenant with god jesus said if you abide in me and i abide in you then you will bear much fruit in other words if you remain in covenant with me and i'm in covenant with you then you will bear fruit And so we're like branches on a vine, he says. And what flows through that vine, what flows through is the love of God and the life of God. And I believe that what carries the life and the love of God into us through the covenant, what the connection point, what the sealing of the covenant that we have is the very Holy Spirit of God that lives and dwells within us. In Ephesians 1, uh, verse 1, uh, or sorry, chapter 1, verse 13, Paul's writing about this and he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Back in the old days when somebody would send a letter or somebody would send a message or somebody would do something, make a declaration, they would always seal it with their seal and it would be a sign. It would be something telling you that it was authentic. That when you saw their seal, you understood that even though you didn't see them write this, even though you didn't hear them declare this, whatever the case was, when you saw that seal, you understood that it carried the full weight and measure of the person who gave the seal to it. So when a king would take his seal and he would put wax on a paper and take his stamp or his ring sometimes and he would seal that, it was as if he was telling the world, by this mark you will know that this is authentic and that this is from me and that this has my authority and carries the full weight as if I'm there saying it. And Paul says when you believed, when you heard the word, the gospel, and you believed that you were sealed with the very Holy Spirit, He is the signature and the stamp of God on our lives. It's the authenticating of our lives by God saying, this is from me. This carries my weight. This carries my authority. It's why Jesus was so excited for Him to leave the earth and to be able to send the Holy Spirit to us. You guys, we talk about that, but man... Do we really, really, really understand that? That Jesus said, it's better that I go because if I do, He, the Holy Spirit, can come. And when He comes, He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He actually said that. It had to be true. So in other words, we come into covenant with God, right? And the covenant process says, take all that I have, and, and in the process and in the exchange, we take all that they have. It's why marriage says, and on, on thee all my earthly goods I bestow. It's everything that we do in marriage is a picture of the covenant that we have with God, that God made with Abraham, that Jesus Christ came to make with us. And, and it says that our covenant's even better than the covenant that Abraham had, based on better promises. And so we, take, we, we say to God, we say, take all that I have, right? And we've done a good job, I believe, of that as a church, of proclaiming to people that Jesus comes and He takes away our sin and our guilt and our shame, the penalty of death that we deserve for the things that we've done wrong. We've proclaimed that part of the covenant over and over again and we all get and understand that to various levels. But I don't know that as a church and as people of God that we've really dug into and understood what it means to not only just give for God to take all that we are, but for actually taking all that He has upon us. Because in the covenant, there's always supposed to be an exchange. It's never one-sided. It's never you take all that I have. And then I'll lay here with nothing. It's always, I'm giving all that I have to you and you're taking everything that I have in exchange. I take all that you have on me. 
And so we, we sometimes will we'll understand very well what Jesus has done for us, and we understand very well what God's taken from us, but we're a little bit foggy on the details of maybe what we're supposed to take on from Him. Jesus' life and death takes away our sin. The Spirit of God brings the very life of God into us. Think about it. Jesus, when, when He's getting ready to be born, uh, or I'm sorry, when He's getting ready to start His ministry, John sees Jesus and man declares what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29. This is the declaration of a man who sees Jesus and he declares, Behold the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus did come in part to take away, right? Jesus comes and John declares this and we as a church have declared this, I believe very well to the world, that Jesus came and died to take away their sin. But Jesus in, verse, in chapter 10 verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, John is busy declaring what Jesus comes to take away, but Jesus was always wanting us to know what He came to give. What He came to give in exchange. And He said, I came that they would have life and they would have it abundantly. Every time we talk about relationship with God, it's always supposed to be in the context of covenant. It's never outside of that context. It's always how God has related with man. He's always had a man that he's in covenant with. He's always had a man that he's been in relationship with with that. And it's always been the picture that he wants for us to have of our relation. That's why it talks about us being the bride and Jesus being the bridegroom. It's because it's a, it's a picture of that covenant that we make. And, and I think sometimes maybe in this day and age, we don't really get covenant. Not the way that they would have got it back then. Not the way that people would have understood it back then. I mean, if you just look at even in marriage, and listen, I know there's people here who have been married, who have been divorced, and, and, and you have to understand something. Everything that we say here is never to bring condemnation. Right? So there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, but that we can't stop preaching the truth just because there's people who, you know, I had someone, we had, we had some people that got really angry because I mentioned something about abortion one time, and and, I, and, I, and I'm hurt for them, and I, and, I, and I hate that it causes such an anger in them if someone talks about it being wrong. But I've got to be honest with you guys. If we cut out things that we know people in the congregation have ever struggled with as not being able to preach on those things, we whittle the gospel down to a whole, not a whole lot there. I struggled with addiction and violence. I sure as heck get up every time I, God tells me to and preach about the power that he has over addiction and how it robs you of your life and how it's absolutely the devil's plan to keep you there because he plans to kill and steal and destroy fully aware there's people here who have struggled with that or may be struggling with it at the time. And so if something rises up in you when we talk about something, go to God and find out is that the enemy trying to bring condemnation or is that the Holy Spirit bringing conviction? Because one leads to freedom, the other leads to death. So take, don't take any condemnation, but, but, but we look at, at just the picture of covenant. The greatest example, earthly example we have of covenant on earth is marriage. That's what God gave us as an example of it. And we look at how loosely people nowadays within and without the church, take the covenant of marriage. Right? Like, we go into the covenant sometimes with a neat exit plan on how we're going to get out if it doesn't work out. I know that sounds silly, but it's the truth, right? We go into it with an exit strategy, but we make a covenant that says, till death do us part. How on earth can we mean what we're saying when we say, till death do us part, if we've already conceived in our mind a scenario that doesn't involve death that would allow us to go our separate ways? Honestly, how seriously are we going into a covenant that we're actually making a way and making a plan before we go into it about how we're going to get out of it if it doesn't work? You can stand there and say, till death do us part, but in the back of your mind, you're going, or, and there's a little asterisk there, right? There's no asterisk with God with us. He, when He made a covenant with us, there was no semicolon except for see addendum A. And a list of grievances and things that you might do that would cause God to say, well, I know I said that, but... Well, I, I know, I, I know I said that, but then you did this, 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 and this. And so as such, we refer to addendum B, which is the break clause, right? So you take your stuff, and I take my stuff, and you get nothing that was mine, and you take nothing except what was yours, and we go our separate ways, and everybody's happy, especially the lawyers. Covenant was such a big deal to the people back in those days because when they made a covenant, there was an exchange and there was also a penalty for breaking it. 
And many of the times when they would make covenant and say, until death do us part, literally it meant if they parted, it involved death. We don't get that. And because that's the greatest picture we have that can show us and explain to us the covenant that God desires to have with us, the way we view marriage is oftentimes the way we view the covenant that we have with God. And that is that it's, yeah, it's good and it's a great idea and from the outside everything looks good, but what about this, 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 and this? And so I believe that, that if we could understand covenant a little bit better, we would understand better how the heart of God towards us, the heart that he has for us, the way that he wants to have relationship with us, the way that he wants to love us. And I believe that, that the thing that we have that seals us, that keeps us in covenant, that, that is a stamp and a seal, is the Holy Spirit. If you look at John chapter 14, uh, verse 16, we'll have all these on the overhead, and you can just write them down and find them in your Bible and highlight them, because we're going to go through a lot of them here, but... John fourteen sixteen. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I, love, I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. John fourteen twenty five. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John fifteen twenty six. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. John sixteen five. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John sixteen twelve. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to you. Jesus was talking in, in the end of His days here on earth with the disciples in, in, his, in the human body that He lived in. And He talked about one thing over and over again. And it was how much He loved and how loved we were by God. He talked about the importance of abiding in Him and Him abiding in us. And in every one of these situations, when He talks about abiding in Him and Him abiding in us, He then ties it to the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. Because the key to abiding in Christ is the understanding that the Holy Spirit of God abides in us, that He seals us, that He keeps us, that we actually live our lives not as orphans, not alone, and not trying to figure this out on our own, but that we have the actual Spirit of God living inside of us as the deposit that He's given in the covenant that He's made. So He took our life on. Remember Jesus? He became sin who knew no sin. He took our life upon Him. He actually came and put on a human body and took our lives upon Him. And He suffered as a sinner. He suffered in all the ways that we deserve to. Even though He was completely innocent, He was perfect, He was pure. And He took our life. He literally took our life upon Him and paid the price that we we deserve to pay. And in the exchange, He asked that we take His life upon us. That we would literally take the life of Jesus Christ upon us that we would live and abide in Him. And to help us do that, He promises one person would come. And He says, it's the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit that you have known will be in you. That He actually lives and dwells inside of us. It's why everything changes when He comes. It's because the Spirit that used to be in you knew how to do nothing but wrong of its own. You used to have to make a conscious decision to be a good person because you weren't. Now you have to make a conscious decision to be a bad person because you're not. Because your nature has changed. When you became born again, the worst you can do now is act like you're not. You actually are a new person, a new creation. Everything passed away and all things became new. Everything's different. It's why it hurts when you do something that you shouldn't do. Things that you used to be able to do without ever thinking about them. Now when you do them, it's like a knife in your stomach and it hurts and you can't even relax until you make it right. I hope you're still there. Don't ever get to the place of being back where you can do things that you used to do and they don't bother you anymore. Thank God that they do bother you. Thank God that you can't be okay living the way you used to live before you became a new creation. 
Don't ever regret, don't ever wish that you didn't feel that way because what that is, is that's showing that you do have a pure heart before God and you can't live the way you used to live because it's no longer who you are. When it was who you are, it was part of your nature. It came easily, it came naturally. It's why you don't have to teach your kids to do wrong. You don't have to teach them to lie to preserve themselves. You don't have to teach them to steal to get the things that they want. You don't have to teach them to be mean and possessive and jealous with their toys. You don't have to teach them any of that stuff because the nature inside of them is centered on themselves. But once you become born again, you have to start teaching yourself to do those things again. Because it said that the Spirit of God who lives in you will lead you and guide you into all truth, that he'll teach you, and the things that he's teaching you are not the things that you were learning from the Spirit that was in you. It's a big deal. It's why we have to understand this. It's why we have to realize this. It's why we have to live by the Spirit. Then you put the deed, the lust of the flesh. If you actually live by the Spirit of God that's inside of you. It's, it's why everything is supposed to change. But so many people so many times say, well, I tried the Christianity thing, but it didn't really work for me. None of the stuff that I heard ever came true. It's because they were waiting for everything on the outside to change so that life would become easy. Because somebody told them, get born again, say this prayer, repeat after me, and then everything will be easy. So they said a prayer and they repeated after them and they walked out of the door and life slammed them in the face and they didn't understand that what was changed was them. They were ill-equipped to deal with the things that were happening in their life and so they returned back to their old way of living and they said, I tried that and it didn't work. We have an obligation, you guys, to, to, for ourselves first to live by the Spirit of God, but secondly, to pour into and teach people to live by the Spirit of God. We can't just sell them a, 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 a sugar daddy God that, that once you say that prayer, then everything's easy and you get anything that you want because people whose hearts haven't been changed want a lot of things that God doesn't want for them. And so they're praying selfish prayers still and they're wondering why God's not answering them. It's because Jesus said anything that you ask in my name and according to his will would be given to you. And if we just teach people to repeat a prayer and then go start asking God for everything like they have a blank check, we end up with a bunch of disappointed people walking around. Wondering why the prize wasn't in the bottom of the box like we told him it would be. I ate all the Cheerios. There was no prize. When do I get my stuff? So Jesus says, always in the context of covenant and abiding with him, it's always a promise of the Holy Spirit coming. Because the way to abide in him and the way to live a life in him is to live by the Holy Spirit and to live according to him. Be honest, you guys. Just, just, if you've never been here before, we, we, we try to be as real as we can with each other just because there's no point in being anything else, right? So, so just be real honest and don't give the church answer, but how many days in the past month have we woke up and actually found, found ourselves well into the day before we even thought about the fact that the Spirit of living God is dwelling inside of me? I'm not asking for a number. If you can get one if you want. <laughs> I'm just saying, just be real honest with yourself. Don't just pass over the question and say, oh, that's good. But I'm saying, like, ask yourself that question and then understand if the answer is anything over zero, that's, un- that's not okay. That every single day was meant to be lived by the Spirit of God living within us. That there are no throwaway days with God. It's not like He has blank days on the calendar that He just intends to be a routine, random days. That every single day He plans for you to live in the fullness of the life that Jesus died so that you could live. Every day. Don't sell yourself short and don't cheat yourself and don't make what he did worth less than it should be because every single day he plans for you to live in the fullness of the life he died that you could have. There was something about your life that God looked down and gave his life of his son for. And I, I think the danger in our lives is never to overestimate who we are in Christ and what it means to be a child of God. I think it's that we undervalue, we underestimate and ultimately live at a level of life that's so far below where Jesus died for us to live. I don't think there's any way that you can overestimate how worthy or how important and how valuable you are to God. Because if you ever start feeling like maybe I think I'm more important to Him than I really am, all you have to do is look at what He paid to have you. And realize this, that He gave the life of His Son, that Jesus Christ bled on a cross and died and poured out every drop of His blood for the chance that you would be redeemed. For the chance of relationship with you. And I know sometimes we think with such a broad stroke, well, yeah, but millions of people, and, you know, we start trying to divide like our worth times the blood of Jesus times divided by the number of people who have ever been saved. And God's not a mathematic formula. You can't do that. You can't start multiplying and dividing and trying to figure out your value because your value is this, that your life was worth his life. One times one equals one. 
One divided by one equals one. Your life was worth it. Try overestimating that. Try overestimating how valuable you are to God. Try overestimating how loved you are by God. Try to exaggerate it. You're not capable. You can't. And I think that if we let ourselves start to understand the fullness of our redemption and what we must mean to him, he'd trade the life of Jesus for the chance at you being redeemed, the chance of your life looking like he created it to look. We would see our lives so differently. Our outlook would be so changed because we would understand there must be something. And we start understanding what David wrote. What must man be? Who is man that you are mindful of him? wasn't saying we're so worthless and wretched. I can't believe that you think about us. It was David actually starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together and understand that God actually cares about me. How much? Who am I? Who am I that you care about me so much? He didn't even know about Jesus dying on a cross yet. And yet he understood covenant so much better than so many of us who do. He looks and he sees that God actually cares about him, that God is actually mindful of him and he can't believe it. And rather than getting down and groveling, he starts to think, well, if God really cares that much about me, if he really places that much value on my life, what must I be? Maybe there's something in me that I don't see. Maybe there's something in these people around me that I don't see. Maybe there's something in every single person you've ever met in your life that you can understand but that God sees and thought was worth the life of his son. The person that you think is the most despicable person, the person that you despise the most, Jesus Christ gave his life for that person. God thought they were worth it. (coughs) And that changes how we start looking at each other too, doesn't it? See, because the value of things is always associated by the price that was paid for them, right? So I can look at something and it means nothing to me until someone comes and says, oh, did you see that painting? Yeah, that painting sold at auction for $10 million. Suddenly now that thing has value in my mind because somebody was willing to give $10 million for it. What I looked at before and saw a bunch of squiggles that looked like someone finger painted suddenly becomes something that you would want to put in a protective case and ensure it has value because somebody was willing to give something of that great a cost for it. That's how we determine value in this earth. It doesn't matter how great the painting. I've seen paintings that I thought were just one of the most amazing works of art I've ever seen sold for $20 at flea markets. And I've seen paintings that I thought looked like somebody was sleeping, rolled over in some paint and put their hand on the table. And it's worth millions of dollars. So it's obviously not just what it looks like to me that determines the value. It's what it is to somebody else. And whoever's willing to pay sets the value. When God looked at you, what he was willing to pay was the life of his son, Jesus Christ. That set your value. And things that looked worthless to us suddenly look a little different when we look at them through the knowledge that Jesus Christ thought they were worth his life. That God looked at that person and said, when I set their value, here's what it is. It's worth the life of my son. Each and every person that you've ever laid eyes on on this earth was worth the value of Jesus' life given for them. It's kind of hard to start disregarding and overlooking people now when we understand that, isn't it? It kind of changes the way we view people. It kind of changes the way we treat people when we understand that. Just like all of a sudden when somebody told you how much the painting was worth, if you were holding it in your hands, you'd put it down on the table and you'd want to put on gloves before you touched it again because you don't want to ruin the value. And and rather than swinging around in your hand as you walk through the house, you would probably now be a little bit more careful with it. I remember one time I went and bought some paintings at a flea market, right? They had these paintings there or at a starving artist show. Me and my wife did. I think it was when we were dating, right? And I was so excited about these paintings. I mean, they were amazing. I'll show them to you sometime if you come to my house. They still are awesome. And I was really, really excited about these paintings. And so I was going to go show my brother-in-law and my father-in-law these paintings that I bought. And I took off. And you know how it is when you're excited? You kind of get going a little faster maybe than normal. I was at almost a full run when I hit a piece of rebar that was sticking up out of the ground in the shin, right? And I fell and another piece of rebar caught one of the paintings and went up through it. And I'm laying there. My, um, my shin's bleeding. I'm saying words that I can't say here. And, uh, and, and there's, there's rebar sticking through the beautiful paintings. I admit that was, that was 13 years ago I said a bad word. He doesn't remember it, but I do. It was unpastorly. I know, now see the halo's diminishing. I've come down off the stage and I talked about saying something I shouldn't, and the halo's diminishing. And I'm laying there and I'm looking at the paintings and I'm thinking, well, it's a good thing they're not really worth a lot of money, right? Because if they were, but the truth of the matter is, is if they were worth a lot of money, I never would have held them in my hands and ran with them in the dark. 
It was light. <laughs> you know, I try to salvage a little bit of dignity out of it by saying it was dark. Thanks. There's my wife. You know? But what if, what if when I bought them and I got home with them, someone would have been there and said, hey, that looks like a painting I've seen on the internet. And they would have pulled up this painting on the internet or it would have turned out to be by a famous artist and it would have been worth millions of dollars. I would have never in my life ran with that thing in my hand. I would have put it down. I would have got a frame for it. I would have treated it differently when I saw its value and I knew what it was worth. We have to understand our value and what we're worth to God before we can see the value and what other people are worth to God. If you don't understand how much He loves you, you'll never understand how much He loves them. Because Jesus said, freely receive, then freely give. When you understand the price that was paid for you and you start to see other people the same way, it changes the way you treat them. It changes the way you deal with them. When you understand that God didn't say to you, yeah, I've heard this before, it starts changing our response when people come to us for the 50th time. It's really easy for us to start judging people and saying, I've heard that before, we'll see. But then remember this, Jesus said, with the same measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. Judge not, lest you also be judged. People take those verses and construe them and think that you can't call sin, sin, because it says to judge not. No. When you call sin, sin, you're not judging, you're agreeing with the judge. He's spoken. What we don't do is judge people because of the things that they do wrong and start labeling them because of the things that they've done wrong. They're not a screw-up because they've screwed up. They're not a failure because they've failed. They're not a mistake because they've made mistakes. We start to see them through the lens of God sending His Son for them, and it starts to change the way we view people. And we, don't, we start to give up rights that we used to hold on to, right? I used to have the right to tell people when they would come and apologize for something more than once. We'll see about that. I'll have to see it to believe it. I've heard this before. How many of those things have come from our mouths would sound so strange if they came from God's when we went to Him? It sounds so natural coming from our mouths. It would sound really strange if you went to God in prayer and started apologizing for the things that you've done and repenting for the things that you've done and His answer from heaven was, I've heard this before, I'll have to see it to believe it. It would sound really, really weird. But it sounds so natural when we think of it coming from our own mouths. But yet we're called to be like God to other people. We're called to reflect the Father to other people. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he says, the Father sends me into the world, so I send you. In other words, I came here to show you what the Father looked like, and now I'm sending you into the world to do the same. I'm so far off my notes, I'm not even going to try to get back on. We'll finish up next, <laughs> we'll finish up next week. But listen, you guys, here's the thing. You have to understand and you have to know who you are. You have to understand how valuable you are. You have to see yourself the way that you see that painting when the the light comes on and you realize, oh, wait a minute. That painting is worth a lot of money because somebody paid a lot of money for it. That person's worth a lot because somebody paid a lot for them. And the first person that has to start with is you and I. We have to get alone and get with God and really understand what it means that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and how much that makes us worth to Him and how valuable and important that is. I'm telling you, you cannot overestimate your value and your importance to God when you compare that your life was paid for by the life of His Son. Then He asks us to come into covenant with Him. He says... Give me all of you and I'll give you all of me. The great thing about covenant with Him is everything that He asks us to give up is completely worthless and everything that He gives is completely priceless. All He wants you to give up are things that you were never created for to begin with. Things that were never supposed to be part of your life to begin with. Things that didn't belong to you to begin with that you've picked up and held on to. That's all He wants you to give up. That's all He asks for. All He wants you to take is all of Him to take on who He is, that Jesus came and lived and died so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you would live in this life and know that you're righteous, you're worthy, you're holy in the eyes of God because He said so. And then once you've understood that for yourself, you can start seeing other people that way and you can start telling them who they are. But only after you've received it yourself, freely receive, now freely give. 
If all you've gotten so far from the covenant is that God's taken away your sin and you haven't understood the part of you taking Him on and taking the life of God into your life and taking the life of Jesus on you, then all you're able to tell people about is the life that He came to take away. But Jesus, see, man was, in, man was so worried about proclaiming what Jesus came to take away. John the Baptist and all these people were proclaiming that He's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And that is important and that, that's huge and that's massive and that's where it starts. But Jesus wanted us to know what He came to give. Jesus wanted us to know that He came to give life. A life of abundance. A life of fullness. A life of joy. A life of peace. Be honest with yourself. If there's a lack of peace, joy, abundance, fullness in your life, it's not because God's holding back. It's not because He changed His mind on the covenant. It's not because you hit the the one thing that He had in the clause that said, well, if they do this, then I'll take back my words. There isn't that. That He has no plan B. He just gives Himself. And if there's a lack of that in our lives, it's not because He's not giving, it's because we're not understanding that and receiving that and enjoying the fullness that Christ came and died that we could have. Don't sell yourself short. Don't fake it. Don't act like it's all there when it's not. If there's a lack of joy, it's not because He doesn't want you to be joyful. If there's a lack of peace, it's not because He didn't come to bring peace. There's a lack of fullness. It's not because He doesn't intend for you to live a life of fullness. He said, I came that they would have life and have it to the full. There's lack of anything in any of those in your life. It's because there's something in the life that He came to bring that we're not taking on, that we're not enjoying, that we don't realize, that we're not living in. And the biggest part of that, I believe, in our lives is the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. That's where I was, I remember now. Because Jesus said when He comes, He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He said, there's things that I want to tell you right now, but you can't bear them. But when He comes, He'll teach you everything. He'll tell you everything. I don't think that they were bad things He was talking about that, oh, that's just going to be too horrible for them to bear. I think it was too good for them to be able to understand at that time because they were caught up in grief and sadness because Jesus told them that He was leaving. I think what Jesus was saying was that this life that I'm calling you into is so much better than you can understand that you can't even bear it right now. But I'm telling you, there's one coming, the Holy Spirit, and He'll teach you and He'll lead you into all things. When He comes, He'll make these things known to you. Right now, you can't even bear it. It's that good. We'll get into the rest of it next week, but... And I just want to, I want to ask you guys, please, please, please don't leave here and just go back to normal life and, and not at least consider the things that we've talked about. Not wake up in the morning and understand that you're a loved child of God, that your life is worth so much to Him that He gave the life of His Son Jesus for it. Don't leave here and go back to just normal life and live as a mere human. Remember Paul when he found out people were living the way they used to live? He says, why now are you living like mere humans? In other words, why are you guys living like people that don't have the Spirit of the living God inside of them? You're selling yourselves short. You're living so far below where Jesus died for you to live. Don't live that way. Live like people who are filled with the Spirit of God who are no longer mere humans but citizens of heaven. Wake up every single day and seriously, just start the day. Try it this week. Like, like, like really do it. Don't just like nod your head right now and then go out the door and forget, but really do it. Wake up every morning this week and remind yourself of who God says that you are. Dig into the Word and see the promises that He's made over your life and who He's declared you to be. And then remind yourself that His very Spirit, because of the covenant that you're in, that He took your life and He gave you His. And because of that, His very Spirit lives and dwells inside of you. And live each day leaning on Him and asking Him the direction and the way to go. He said He'd lead you and guide you into all truth. I am the Lord your God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's not so that God can keep you in a box. It's so that he can, you can understand and live in the fullness of the life that He gave because He understands that anything else that we make a God in our lives leads us to destruction, leads us to despair, leads us to hopelessness, and leaves us feeling empty. It wasn't God trying to box you in. It was God trying to keep you away from things that you were never supposed to have. Because He knows that nobody can love you like Him. Nobody can lead you like Him. Nobody can guide you like Him. Just try it. Try every day this week getting up in the morning and thanking Him for who you are. Thanking Him for His Spirit that lives and dwells inside of you. And then before you do anything, just ask Him, is this leading me into greater relationship with God? Is this making me more like Jesus? Is this what I really should do? Spirit of God, is this what you have for me? Even good things. It's way easier for the devil to open doors you're not supposed to go through than to try to shut doors that you are. 
Think about it. He has to strain against the power of God to try to shut a door that you're supposed to walk through. But all he has to do is walk in front of you and open doors that you're never supposed to go through. And if you walk through them and go through them just because they're good things, not God things, the next thing you know, you can be so far on the other side of the house you can't even see where God wants you. And he'll do it. He'll open doors that are never supposed to be gone through to try to keep you from going through the ones that are. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for the covenant that we have in you. I'm excited over the next few weeks to talk about the covenant and, and what co- exactly you made a covenant with us that entails and what it said and, God, what you've promised to give and who you've promised to be in the covenant, God, and what you've asked of us. I really want to get into this, God, and I really want to know all about the covenant the way that the people in the old days did because I want my life to look a lot more like theirs. I'd love for my life to look like the book of Josephus describes the book of believers back in those days looking. God, that if someone who didn't know you came and lived among us, that they would write a book declaring how remarkable and different our lives were. That there would be a radical love among us, that there would be an indescribable peace, that there would be uncontainable joy. Because we wake up every day knowing whose we are, taking on the life that you died for us to live. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Um, I just want to encourage you before you leave, get to know some people. Find some people. I know a lot of people are out of town right now off and on because of summer vacation um, and because of travel and stuff like that. But, but start to make relationships. Get to know some people. Say hey to some people. Build relationship with them. Find out their names. Pray for them. Ask them to pray for you. We have a prayer team that will be up here at the end of service. If you need prayer in your life for anything, if you need healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, if you need wisdom or direction, you need to know, you know, you just need to hear from God, a word from God from somebody who's filled with His Holy Spirit that would long to speak into your life from God's Word and, and pray for you and encourage you. Come up here and let them pray for you. Let them pour into you. Let them encourage you. But, but more than that, find some people here maybe that you can pour into and encourage There's a level of joy that Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be filled. That your joy may be full. There's a fullness of joy that can only come from loving other people. So find some people to love. Find some people to get to know. Find some people to pour into and share life with.